This is an episode that you do not want to miss and you're going to want to re-listen to it over and over again. It has that potential to change your life. Dr. Bruce Lipton goes deep into the subconscious mind and how we create our results in life, how our minds are programmed and are developed and how to change those beliefs and programs to create a better life, as well as how our beliefs affect our biology and how to understand and recognize our energy. Stay tuned and thank you. I appreciate you. We are all playing 95% of the day these programs and we don't see them. And I said, but you don't know what the programs are. And I said, well, I can tell you what the programs are. Why? 95% of your life is coming from the programs. Your, your subconscious, your behavior is a printout. That's the expression <laughs> of your life, yet your life is shaped. So I say, you want to know what your programs are? Look at your life right now and recognize this. The things that you like or love that come into your life that make you feel happy and all that, things that come in, they come in because you have programs to acknowledge those things. But, and this is the big one, the things you wish for and desire, but you have to struggle, work hard, put effort into it, always trying to overcome, you're working so hard, you're sweating to make it happen. Why are you working on those things so hard? Whatever the destination is, the subconscious programs don't support that. The first and best victory is to conquer self. Welcome to the Conqueror Approach, a journey of self-mastery. To cultivate our mind, body, spirit, financial literacy, and allow our light to shine upon the world. Brought to you by me, your host, U.S. Navy submarine veteran and entrepreneur, Musa Mikkel. Let's conquer. Welcome back to the Conquer Approach. Thank you for tuning in wherever you're tuning in from. Today, I have a very, very special guest, Dr. Bruce Lipton, a pioneer in the new biology, is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. He is the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief. If you haven't gotten it yet, please just add it to your reading list. You'll thank me later. And The Honeymoon Effect, as well as Spontaneous Evolution. Dr. Lipton has taken his award-winning medical school lectures to the public and currently an internationally sought-after keynote speaker and workshop presenter. He lectures about the leading-edge science and how it connects to mind, body, medicine and spiritual principles. Thank you, Dr. Bruce Lipton, for joining me today. It is an honor. I am honored. Thank you so much, Musa. And so much appreciate our audience out there because these are people trying to wake up and get out of the midst of, of, of what's going on. It's a chaos mess out there. Uh, but there's an insight as to what is going on. If you understand what is going on, then you become empowered. Knowledge is power. That's the whole secret. And absolutely, it is extremely crucial to work and, and the message that you're spreading because it truly empowers the individual, especially if, if we're not aware of the power of ourselves, our biology, and especially the subconscious mind, which, which I would love to dive deep in yes. um, because I've learned so much from you about the power of the subconscious mind. And, and I think most people, because they're so subconscious, they don't even realize that power. Well, so they it, don't even realize they're subconscious. That's where the problem comes in, because the word subconscious means below conscious. So that means whatever is going on, you're not aware of what's going on. It's below your conscious level. And unfortunately, that's 95% of your uh, life is not coming from your creative wishes and desires. It's coming from those programs that are back there. Absolutely. So with that, because you, you, you've mentioned it beautifully in your lectures for people who don't really understand, because a lot of us, we think we're just consciously making every decision that we make and, and, and that's it. And there's no such thing as a subconscious or we're just not aware of it. How much more powerful is the subconscious mind to the conscious mind? Well, in computer terms, it's a million times more powerful a computer. Okay, that's sort of like a conscious mind's a little hand calculator, uh, uh, and the subconscious is a supercomputer. And all of a sudden, you say, "Oh, they're not the same." I go, "No," uh, and people don't understand. The beautiful, simple insight is the the brain is an information processor. 
and a computer is an information processor and the brain and the computer are parallels because they function in exactly the same way. Uh, a little sidebar, it's interesting, human technology really follows what cellular technology created first. The, the, the technology inside your body exceeds what our science can even do out here in the outside world. So uh, it's funny because always people think, it, oh, humans are so smart and as you go down the chain, there's less and less intelligence and then they say, well, what about a cell? And they go, intelligence? And I go, they created us. <laughs> I, think, I think we should give them a little honor about that because we are made out of 50 trillion cells. It's, we are a cellular community. Uh, and if you understand how cells work, then you understand how humans work. Uh, and so let's go back to the information processing part of it. Uh, in your computer, which I, I, everybody's got some kind of computer going on, I say, you know, um, in the old days when you buy a brand new computer, they didn't come with programs. So you buy a brand new computer and you push start and it boots up and the screen lights up. And then I say, okay, now do something. And you go, well, no, I can't. And I go, what do you mean? Not until you put basic programs into the computer can you use that computer. So um, the significance is the human brain boots up in the last trimester of pregnancy, three months before you're born, the screen lights up. But it's not a usable computer until you put programs in it. So what happens is the brain uh, in the first seven years of a child's life uh, is not fully functioning in consciousness, thinking and imagination and in that. Uh, the brain of a child is primarily in theta, which is hypnosis. But uh, uh, let me give you the characteristics. So it's like a child's characteristic, and that is mixing the real world with the imaginary world. That's theta. Uh, so, uh, the, I, you know, I always talk about all oh, the, the famous tea party where they pour nothing into the to the cup and then they drink nothing and they go, oh, that was the greatest tea I ever had. That is theta. <laughs> or, yeah. or riding a broom and saying it's a horse because in that child's mind, mixing the imagination with the real uh, is so, so firm that even if a mother says, give me the broom, the child's like not even... What are you talking about? Because to the child, it's not a broom anymore, it's a horse. So theta is hypnosis. And I go, well, significance is, look, to be a functional member of this world, you have to learn how to be a member of a community, and more importantly, to be a member of a family. The rules and regulations and behaviors, you can't just do whatever you want. So I said, well, there's so many rules. How, to, how does an infant learn all these rules? Thousands of rules. And I go, they learn it because the brain is in hypnosis and it, whatever the child observes is like downloading, just downloading behavior. Watch your father, see how he behaves. That's how fathers behave. Those are behavioral programs. And watch your mother and that's how she behaves. That's how uh, you know women behave and that's a behavioral program. And then you look at the community and you learn very quickly there are things that are right to do and there are things that are wrong to do. And I go, so you learn these programs and that's what the first seven years is all about. Now, this is a little sidebar. This is really critical. And that is, there's no filter that says mm. this is a good program or a bad program. It just downloads all the programs. Right. <laughs> so if you're watching your parents, you see the good stuff that the good, you know, that what parents do is good. But you also see when they're screwing up and it's not working right, you recorded that too. So mm -hmm. it's how children almost become, you know, replicas of the parent that, you know, they, they say the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. It's just like, yep, you're, you're pretty close to this because you're downloading these behaviors. So the that is so powerful. Yeah. And, so, and I think, yeah. oh, not to cut you off, uh, but yeah, go ahead. That, I think that's just so powerful in what we see in generational curses, if you will, because they're they're just observing. They have no conscious to determine whether it's good or bad at that age. Right. It's just, it's just an experience. I, I gave a talk in Israel and uh, in Tel Aviv. And it was interesting because we bust in 300 Palestinians from the West Bank that had never even been in Israel, crossed the, you know, five miles across the line, had never even been there. And we brought them in University of Tel Aviv, and uh, it was a big conference where I was speaking, and I was talking about this child programming that we're talking about right now. And I say, you know, 
after I explained to him that a child learns from just observing these behaviors of the parents, and then uh, we'll get into that in a second, 95% of our life is coming from those programs, good or bad. <laughs> uh, and, I, and so I explained that to the people that a life is programmed by these experiences. And then I, I, in this room, uh, you know, they're finally, you know, the, the parents and the adults are getting, okay, that this programming occurs in the first seven years and that determines the character of your life. And then I show a, a picture with split screen. And I say, the problem. And on one side of the screen is Israeli kids playing with machine guns. Uh, real ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and on the other side of the screen was Palestinian kids dressed up in military uniforms with wooden guns marching. And I said, this is a problem. I said, look what you're teaching these kids, you know, before they even know who the other side is, they already have. Uh, I don't like the other side. Why? Because that's what I downloaded. The, I don't know. Who, I don't like those people. I don't know who they are. If I ever see one, I'll, I'll know I don't like them because that's my program. OK. Uh, and mm-hmm. I said, this, this, you just program these kids to hate each other and they don't even know each other. I go, okay, this, this is where your problem is. You're perpetuating a violence and a hatred from generation to generation to generation because the kids are observing the behavior of the adults. And if the behavior of the adults is a violent situation, the kids become violent. Why? That's because that's the program. Uh, you, and, and when I showed that picture, you could have heard a pin drop, 1,500 people in the audience. You could have, it was dead silence. Why? It hit them. For the first moment, it hit them and said, oh, my God, we are perpetuating a violence between these people to kids that have no idea about this until we program it for them. Uh, and then I show the next slide. So I say the solution and the pictures, the two pictures, one on each side, uh, one is uh, Israeli and Palestinian girls walking arm in arm down the street. The other is a Palestinian and an Israeli boy playing together in harmony. I said, that's a solution. You want to end this violence. You, you, you know, you do this. And it's interesting because uh, friends of ours, um, uh, uh, he's a, a, a Palestinian uh, and uh, his name is Ihab. And he married a, a, an Israeli girl. Uh, um, uh, era. Uh, and, and the beautiful part about that was um, just like the magic story of a movie, they were uh, walking across the Sinai Desert, not together, but they passed each other. But before they passed each other, they were about, they said about like 10, 12 feet apart. They saw each other and it was like a, uh, in the Godfather movie, the Thunderbolt, they just, boom, fell in love. They got married three days later, you know? Uh, it was <laughs> something that was just so uh, energetically, boom, they just changed their life right there. They didn't even know each other or anything. They just saw each other. They felt the energy fields. And all of a sudden, they, they came together. Now, of course, there was a little problem when they went home because he went home and told his dad he married an Israeli girl. And his dad, a, a Palestinian with extreme hatred for Israelis, mm-hmm. chased him around the house with a knife. He was going to kill him. He's killed his son for marrying an Israeli girl. She went and told her parents that she married a Palestinian guy and they disowned her <laughs> at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and it was interesting because... When they had a child, they, they had to send the child to school. So they went to the Hebrew school and they said, oh, no, the programming there is not too good. I don't, we don't want to send the kid there. They went to the Palestinian school. They go, oh, no, programming there is not too good. We don't want to send the kid there. They went to the Christian school and said, oh, my God, programming is worse than both of them at some point. And they said, what are we going to do? And they created a school called the Garden of Abraham, Abraham being a prophet for both the Israelis and Palestinians. So they bring them together and they created a school where the kids came together and played as infants and young kids and playing together. The result was they created a situation, as I was trying to explain, when they played with each other and they were friends with each other and they grew up together with each other, there was no such thing as animosity or hatred of each Mm -hmm. other. The violence ended right there in that school. Uh, and uh, it's interesting because I think they now have two or three of them out there. Uh, 
the idea was what? If kids grow up and play together, then they're not going to kill each other later in life. It's just not going to work that way. Uh, and this is, oh, oh my God, we got way off the point here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we got, let's summarize and get back real fast. Okay. The point is okay. simply this. Well, well I want to empower people too, because that's the work that you do. We, we understand that the subconscious is just running us. All these programs that we've observed. So how can we change these subconscious limiting beliefs? Oh, you always want us? to go to, you <laughs> went to jackpot answer before <laughs> we even get into the program. Oh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, for, let me just explain why we operate 95% of the day from the subconscious programs mm. and being subconscious means we're not even observing our own behavior. I say, why would that be? Because the conscious mind is a creator. It can create heaven on earth if that's what you want. But the issue about it is, and this is the crux of the problem, and the problem is the conscious mind can not only look out at the world and make your path where I want to go. This, you know, I'm observing the world and this is where I want to go, conscious creativity. But the conscious mind can think. And I go, so what? And I say, well, if it's thinking, it's not looking out at the world because thinking is inside. The moment you're thinking, you're not paying attention to what's going on outside. I go, what if you're driving your car and you have a thought? I go, well, you've been doing that most of your life anyway. And I go, well, how come you didn't get to an action or anything? I say, because, the, and this is it, the moment your conscious mind is thinking, the subconscious mind is autopilot. It takes over. If you're driving a car, doing your job, talking to somebody, it knows how to do all these things. It's a programs, okay? So the moment that you are thinking, then your life is controlled by the behavior from the million times more powerful computer, the subconscious mind. And I say, do you see this? And I go, that's where the problem comes from. Because when the conscious mind's not observing the world, it's not observing when the subconscious mind is controlling it either. And the subconscious mind, if it has a, a negative program, up to 60% are disempowering programs that we got passed down from parent to child here. Uh, if we're playing one of those disempowering programs, we don't see it. Why? Because the conscious mind's not paying attention. <laughs> mm. uh, and, and when you don't see it, there's a problem because it's what's happening in that part where you're running your life and you don't know what you're doing. And I say subconscious is running it. Uh, a very quick example, Musa, is a very quick example is you're in a car, uh, you have a friend. And you get this conversation back and forth. Oh, it's a very exciting conversation. Very blah, 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 blah. And then you look out the window. And of course, you don't want to tell your partner. But the, the point is you realize, I haven't paid attention to the road for the last five minutes. You know, you've just been driving, but in conversation. But here comes the critical question that relates to what we're saying. I say, what was your conversation about? Oh, we talked about this and this and this. And I go, okay, what was on the road? for those five minutes when you were driving and you go, I have no idea what the hell is on the road. Why? Because the conscious mind was not observing the behavior. Okay. So you have no idea what was on the road. So I go, this is a story of your everyday life. 95% of your life, you are thinking, you have no idea what's going on out there, but the subconscious program will manage it. And that's when I said, well, if you have good programs, there's no problem, man. <laughs> but if you have programs that do not support you, then during that time, you are running programs that are sabotaging your life and you're the only one that doesn't see it. Uh, a story told, well, I've told for 30, 40 years, and uh, I'm looking for a new one because it's getting old now, 40, but I'll, I'll tell you the story. It's very simple. You have a friend and you know your friend's behavior very well. You happen to know your friend's parent. And one day you see that your friend has the same behavior as their parent. So you, 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 kinda, you just got to tell your friend, you go, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. I know what Bill's going to say right away. I know what Bill's going to say. He's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. The audience laughs. Why? They've all had the experience. I said, that's the most profound story in the world. And I go, why? Mm -hmm. Everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. Who doesn't see it? Bill. I said, well, well, how come he doesn't see it? Because he's only playing the program he downloaded from his dad when he's not paying attention. So whatever that behavior is, he's the one that doesn't see it. Everybody else does see it. And then uh, the conclusion, which, okay, everybody wake up now. You, we are all Bill. We are all doing this every day. 
Now comes the part that Musa really wants to get into because the hell with the back back backstory. Let's go from here no. to the future. <laughs> Honestly, I could talk about this for hours, but I know we're, we're we have a time limit. So. <laughs> so back to the future part comes like this. It's like, as I said, you got programmed from the last trimester of pregnancy before you were born. A couple of months of programming. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. a child that hears music that's played over and over again. To, uh, the mother plays like uh, music with speakers near the, her abdomen, so the vibration the baby can hear it the moment the baby is born you play that music the baby instantly responds because it memorized the music while it was even in utero and it memorized a lot of behavior which we'll get into in a bit if we need to but the point about it is this you're already learning before you come out then i say look you're being programmed for seven years so i ask you a simple question right now tell me the program you got between a whole year program tell me the program you got between zero and one you go I don't know what the program, I wasn't, I have no idea. Okay, okay, another whole year of programming from one to two. Tell me what you got, pro don't really know. I say another year of program from two to three. And I go, oh, maybe around three, you can start to remember a little bit of something that was mm -hmm. going on. But before that, it's like, I go, so what's the point? I said, well, you still got program. It's just like a hard drive. It's a subconscious. It's in there, those programs are in there but you didn't see them. You didn't filter them. You don't even know what the hell the programs are because if I ask you what, right. what your program was, you go, I don't know. They learned to walk or potty. So those are like major programs too. So that's happening. Yeah, that, and that's a good example because a lot of people think, oh, the subconscious where the programs are, that's where all the evil comes from. I go, look, stop blaming the subconscious. That's like blaming the hard drive in your computer if you got a bad program. Mm -hmm. It's not the hard drive's fault. Somebody put the program in there. <laughs> so the hard drive is like, well, I'm just a receptacle, you know? Uh, and so the, hard, the, the subconscious hard drive, it's not evil. It's just a recording device. So you got some good programs, you got some negative. About 60% are disempowering. Uh, and I go, so the significance is this. We are all playing 95% of the day, these programs, and we don't see them. And I said, but you don't know what the programs are. And I said, well, I can tell you what the programs are. Why? 95% of your life is coming from the programs. Your, your subconscious, your behavior is a printout. That's the expression mm -hmm. of your life, yet your life is shaped. So I say, you want to know what your programs are? Look at your life right now and recognize this. The things that you like or love that come into your life that make you feel happy and all that, things that come in, they come in because you have programs to acknowledge those things. But, and this is the big one, the things you wish for and desire, but you have to struggle, work hard, put effort into it, always trying to overcome, you're working so hard, you're sweating to make it happen. Why are you working on those things so hard? And whatever the destination is, the subconscious programs don't support that. So basically look at your life right now and say the things I like that come in, great. I don't have to worry about those. I got programs that bring them in. But the things I struggle with are the things that I'm trying to override the, the hard drive subconscious program. I said, well, it's very difficult because you're only using a very small processor 5% of the day and the million times more powerful processors working 95% of the day. I think I say, you've got a problem here. <laughs> you want to take that little tiny brain and change this big subconscious program. It's like a little difficult if you don't understand how to do it. And I go, that's where the problem comes from. How do you change this? We've had conventional psychology, cognitive therapy, where you talk about your issues and history and you bring that up and the idea is to flush it out. Well, it doesn't necessarily flush it out. It does bring it up to the surface though. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. why they carry boxes of tissues right always next to the couch or the you know where the person's sitting. Why? <laughs> they're gonna cry. I said, why are they gonna cry? Because when you bring up the old problems, you're replaying the old problems. That's how you bring them up. It's like, oh yeah, that happened to me and that person did that. Oh, that lousy person <sighs> crying. I go, mm -hmm. you just replayed the same damn program. And guess what? The emphasis is on uh, those entities that interfered with you. You know, so it's like, um, there's a very important old saying called don't kill the messenger over the message. 
meaning it was some ancient Greek thing. I think some uh, king sent a messenger to another king, and the, the when he, the messenger arrived at the other king, the king was so mad at the message, he killed the messenger. It's like, well, that wasn't the problem. It was the king. It was the problem. Okay, when we go over our lives, and you want to say, well, this doesn't work because this person did this, and this person interfered with me, and that person did this. I say, you keep bringing up the messenger. That's not relevant. What was relevant is what did you walk away with? What program did it cause you to walk away with? Significance is this. You're you're still trying to beat up the messenger, and you haven't dealt with the program. It's the program that you carry, not, not the messenger. So I say, well, that's the, the big point. We have to change the way we look at the psychology thing and recognize that, look, we we carry these programs and we got them just by observing people. It's nobody's fault. If you came from great parenting, you know, there's a very important book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. I go, what's the book? It's exactly what I'm talking about. Children who grow up in rich families have a tendency to stay rich because the behaviors that led to that richness are passed from generation to generation. People who grow up in poor families grow up with the same limitations that their parents had. Whatever that limitation was, now it's passed on to the kid. So rich kids in rich families tend to stay rich. Kids in poor families tend to, tend to stay poor. I said, what, what's the issue? And I go, programming. It's just total programming. Uh, and I say, the poor kids programming is life is hard. It doesn't work. People don't expect anything. And, you know, and then people grow up with that attitude. I don't expect anything. Life is hard. It's not working. Hey, it's just the way I thought it was going to be. And I go, that's the way you programmed it. Uh, right. And we have to change that. Oh, finally, we came to your question. How do I change those things? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the question. So uh, l let me just say this. The mind is actually two parts, and we just mm -hmm. mentioned them. So let's separate them because they're two interdependent parts, meaning each part of the mind learns in one way and carries out a function. Uh, and I say, what are the two parts? I say, there's the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. We said the conscious mind is the creative mind with wishes and desires and the things you want out of life, okay? And that conscious mind is a small processor and only works 5% of the time. But the conscious mind has your wishes and desires. So when the conscious mind is driving your body, the, call the body a vehicle, and the conscious mind's driving. I say, where's it going to take you? Wishes and desires where the conscious mind wants to go. Mm. I say, and what about the subconscious mind? I go, oh no, that was uh, driver ed. <laughs> I learned how to drive by observing other people teaching me how to drive. And so when my conscious mind is thinking, the subconscious, the more powerful computer steps in, autopilot takes over. So yeah, you can drive the car without even paying any attention to what the hell's going on the road because the subconscious mind knows how to do it. And it's a million times more powerful a processor in the first place. You, you know, it's going to be great if you had good driver education. If you have bad driver education, that means you suck at driving and, uh, <laughs> and you won't see it. Only the people behind you are going to see it. You're from California. <laughs> so yeah so basically the two minds are different conscious minds creative small processor five percent of the time hmm. subconscious mind is program it's just whatever the program is and million times more powerful processor working 95 percent of the day because you don't realize when you're thinking you automatically go to autopilot okay hmm. and like bill you'll be playing programs and you won't see it. So when somebody says, oh, you're just like your dad, and Bill goes, no, I'm not. Why? He never sees himself playing those programs. Mm -hmm. And we're all Bill, so let's just say we all do this all the time. So I say, okay, two minds, two functions. Conscious mind creative, subconscious mind program. So totally two different functions, okay? But how they learn, that's where the problem comes from because they learn in different ways. The conscious mind is creative. Meaning mm -hmm. any way you want to think of something, you can create it. You can read the self-help book. You can go to all the lectures. You know, you, you could uh, uh, watch the videos. You can practice the steps. And I go, fine, but is that going to control your life? I go, no, about 5%. That's about when you're going to use that conscious mind, 5%. Because 95% of the time you are thinking, 
So the conscious mind is offline. It's not driving the vehicle. That's when the subconscious kicks in. So I say, conscious mind, create. If you want to change your conscious mind, go, ah, I have a new idea. Well, you can just change it. That's how fast creative minds work. Subconscious minds habit. I go, oh, by definition, a habit does not want to change because if a habit changes, then it no longer fits the definition of habit, you know? So I say the subconscious mind learns and resists change once it learns. It downloads behavior, but it downloads it by observing other people in the beginning, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, but you can still learn new habits after age seven. Uh, you learn how to drive a car. And now you don't even have to think about driving the car. Once you learned, it's a habit. You could get in a car and, uh, and unconsciously drive to where you're going while thinking about what you want to do. You don't even pay attention anymore. So there are two learning phases. And this is where you wanted to, to get to the points. When did, I, when did I learn? I say the first learning phase was zero to seven. And that's where the subconscious was just downloading because it was in hypnosis and it was an automatic download and stuff went in there. Okay. And then I go, what about, uh, uh, you know, uh, the next learning phase? I say, after age seven, you still learn. I go, oh, how do you learn then? So I say, repetition. You want to learn to drive a car? You got to practice driving the car. You want to play an instrument? Well, you got to practice playing the instrument because practice makes habit. So I got two phases of learning in the subconscious mind. Phase one, hypnosis, just download whatever it is. Phase two, repetition and practice of something. So I go, okay, first of all, hypnosis. I say that because uh, the brain has to be in a lower vibration called theta. When, when they put wires on a person's head, it's called electroencephalograph, EEG, reading brain function that what they started to recognize is that uh, there are different levels of vibration where consciousness increases as the vibration goes up. Theta is right like uh, uh, just below consciousness, okay? So interesting, as an adult, we go through all phases. When we're sleeping, lowest vibration delta, just before we wake up, it's called twilight reverie. Just before you wake up, you're in theta. And then you wake up and now you're in a higher vibration alpha calm consciousness and then when you go to work more intense consciousness called beta so i go so what i say number one every night when you go to sleep the energy reverses you come home from work beta you relax alpha and then just the moment you fall asleep you're in theta and there's a short period of theta before you hit the lowest one delta so i say what well if you put earphones on playing a message that you want to be true as you're going to sleep. You'll hear it while you're conscious, but the moment you fall asleep, the speakers are not talking to conscious mind. Now it's talking directly to subconscious theta. So every night you go through an automatic hypnosis period just by falling asleep. So every night, if you put on a earphones playing a program of what you want to be true in your life, a behavioral program that you want to be true, then that's called self-hypnosis. You have to repeat it because it's only a short theta period before you drop into delta. So you got to repeat that. So one way of changing earphones on at night with programs that you want to be true, fall asleep with them, let the programs play for a while. And those uh, programs will be going into the subconscious mind. Repetition makes it more of a habit. Number two, I said, well, wait, after age seven, you still learn in the subconscious, but you only learn by practice and repetition, habituation. I say, so if you want something to be different, then you got to behave differently and you have to practice it just like practicing riding a bike. Yeah, you fall off the bike. Yeah, you can practice trying to be different. You'll fall off, but you get back on the bike again. And the practice is what? Uh, a new age phrase. Fake it till you make it. And I go, what does that mean? He goes, well, fake it means I say I'm an unhappy person. I said, well, then fake it like you're happy. All you have to do is all day long. I am happy. I am happy. This is repetition. I go, why is it important? I go, you don't have to be happy. You just have to tell yourself, I am happy. I am happy. And I go, repetition, habituation leads to a day you wake up and you don't have to say it because the subconscious mind has now habituated, I am happy. And when you wake up, you're happy. And that's how you did it, repetition. So first way, self-hypnosis, earphones. Second way, repetition of a behavior you want. It changes your biology. And this is so profoundly important. A good actor takes on a character, consciousness. Uh, 
and rehearses that character with all the issues of that character. Uh, Renee Zellweger plays in the Diary of Somebody, Princess Joan, I don't know, Diary, diary of Somebody. Uh, significance to the story is Renee Zellweger's character is 40 pounds heavier than she is. Guess what? She puts that character in her mind, plays that character. She's rehearsing. She's becoming that character in her mind so she could act out this role. She gains the 40 pounds to become the character. And then guess what? The movie's finished filming. No more character in her mind. She comes back. She's Renee Zellweger again. Guess what? 40 pounds disappear. She created what her vision was. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, great actor, takes on a character. Uh, I always remember I saw him in Midnight Cowboy years and years ago, and he played a character, Ratso Rizzo, a bum in New York with a limp and everything. And I thought, wow, he's really good. Somebody said, well, if you like him, go watch The Graduate. He was in The Graduate. And I go, oh, okay, we'll go to The Graduate. Halfway through the movie, I asked my friend who was with me, I said, when is Dustin Hoffman coming on? And they said, that's Dustin Hoffman. He's been on since the beginning of the movie. He played a completely different character. He was like, holy crap. <laughs> you know, he was like somebody else. Well, he played a character in a Broadway play called, uh, uh, not The Irishman Coming, Death of a Salesman. And he played the lead character, Willie Loman, who was a depressive. He played Willie Loman so good, he had to go to a, a neurological hospital and check himself in because he became a depressed character, because he became the character. And all of a sudden, I go, well, how did this happen? I go, they took on a new character and created that in their mind. So this is an opportunity. Fake until you make it. Make up the character you want and pretend that's who you are and play it. Why? Repetition of the role, habituation, will manifest that character in your life. That's how it happens, okay? Repetition. Now comes for those, uh, uh, because repetition and self-hypnosis are time-consuming. You have to repeat them, okay? There's something new. It's called energy psychology. I go, what the hell is that? And I go... Conventional cognitive psychology, you talk over your issues, blah, 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 okay? And you talk over your past and blah, blah, blah. And I go, what is this new psychology, this energy psychology? And the first thing is, it engages something called super learning. I go, what's super learning? I go, maybe you've seen somebody in a bookstore open up a book, and then what they do is just move their finger down the page, just as fast as I just did, just like that. They read every word on that page using you know, super power, super memory, okay? Super learning. How they learn how to move their finger down and read, read all these words instantly, okay? They can read a whole book in five or 10 minutes by just turning the pages, okay? The learning is super learning. I say, energy psychology engages something with super learning. Why? You can change a belief you've had your whole life in minutes. But it, you have to engage the super learning aspect. It's like the push of the record button. That's the record button, super learning. Uh, and there's processes to engage that super learning process that allows you to rewrite programs in 10, 15 minutes when you had your whole 50 years or 60 years of life, you, 15 minutes. I go, it's like a computer. Go into your house computer. You got a, a, a document from, you know, 20 years ago and you open it up and you go, oh, I want to change that. And you, you know, highlight it, erase it, put some new words in there. And three minutes later, <laughs> guess what? Document is up to date. Three minutes. It took you to replace 20 years of history in that computer. You know, and I go, same thing with the brain computer. If you understand how to get the record button, you can change these behaviors in minutes. And I, there are several, there's a lot of modalities of this energy psychology. I, I have them on my website under resources. Uh, it's called Belief Change. <laughs> and the significance about that is there's about 25 or so different modalities, a little description of each in a website that you can search it out. But why are these important? Because we, we can change these behaviors virtually instantaneously. And, and it's so important because uh, human behavior has uh, screwed up the web of life so much we're facing our own extinction. And the only way out of our extinction is human behavior has to change profoundly and fast. 
Uh, and so uh, necessity is the mother invention. We need to change our behavior fast. And lo and behold, here we have now energy psychology. Uh, yeah, change it fast. And that's what we need. Uh, and to me, this is the most important thing. I wouldn't be here talking with you, Musa, without the fact that I had to do some changing. Let me get, I'll give you something that we almost all should consider, and that is this, in these belief change stories. When I work with, you know, when we do some of these and I'm involved, one of the first questions uh, that we ask and uh, testing the subconscious, uh, let's see, um, when we change the subconscious, uh, uh, then we change we could change this, this whole program, okay? So uh, basically, uh, what we want to do do is rewrite these subconscious programs that we just said, what are they? We just looked at them and said, this isn't working. I said, well, then you need to put in a program that makes it work by saying it does work. Okay. Uh, and, and one of the biggest issues that 80 to 90% of every audience, when we check for the belief, you ready? Mm -hmm. I love myself. 80 to 90% of every audience will not test positive for that belief. Wow. Now, that, this is so critical because it, it plays so big in your whole life. If you don't love yourself, then you don't take care of yourself and you don't care and you lost your I don't care kind of thing. Uh, and guess what? You can never find love either because if someone says, well, I love you. And then you go, look, I know I'm not lovable. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, you have poor quality of choice right here. I'm not lovable. And then you chase them away and then they're gone. And then you go, see? I'm not lovable. There's nobody here. I go, well, you did this without knowing you were doing it. Uh, so the biggest issue and in, in, in your story is uh, of your coming of age and, and moving into self-empowerment, which is a very impressive story that you, you know, carry through in your life and represent. Uh, and for me, audience, dear audience, why is this important? Because there's talking the talk and then there's walking the talk. And I know personally for myself, when I understood all this understanding about how, oh my God, we're manifesting our life with our consciousness, I said, oh, I wanted to tell people, I said, listen, let me, let me tell you how to create the most wonderful life on this planet. And they come in and I start talking and then they look at me and they go, you know, Lipton, for a guy who says, you know, this stuff, your life doesn't look that good. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh my God, I'm talking the story, but I am not walking the story. And I caught myself. I said, you cannot go back and ever talk about this unless you now start to do this. And, and the thing is, as soon as I started to apply the principles, my life changed just like, boom, holy crap. That caused you know, me great, uh, much more energy to go out there and talk to people because it was like, it works. It absolutely works. Uh, and if you know the mechanism, then you have an advantage to get to the end rather than trial and error. I did this, I did that. And I go, no, if you understand the mechanism, you go right to the end. Uh, uh, and the end of the mechanism, the mechanism end is very critical because the end uh, is understanding you are creating your life. And I go, oh, we're creating our life. That sounds so new agey. And I go, quantum physics is the most valid science on this planet in regard to the theory and, and then the expression of the theory. And I go, so what's important? I go, you ready? Primary principle, number one, quantum physics. Consciousness is creating our life experiences. I go, oh, well, this mm -hmm. is what the biology is now showing how your mind consciousness translates into chemistry, which goes into the blood and the chemistry in the blood controls the genetics and the behaviors of the 50 trillion cells making your body. Then it's like, oh my God, if you understand this, everybody wants to fix below the head. Oh, I got a problem here. I got a problem here. I got a problem here. I go less than 1% of disease is connected to genes. So you got wow. less than 1%. I said, that we're in a healthcare crisis. The world's sick all over the place. Less than 1% in genes. Where's it coming from? Here, it's consciousness is controlling our biology just as much as physics has said consciousness is controlling our life experiences. They both say the same thing now. I go with significance. Well, then you're the one that can change consciousness. Oh my God. But if you have to know how, and that's why we talked about it, I said there are three ways to change those programs. A, what are the programs? Look at your life. Whatever you're struggling with in that destination, you want this, but you're working hard to get to that. 
then the point about it is this, the program between what you want and how you're getting is right in the middle and you're trying to get there and the program's stopping you. You wanna rewrite the program and, and you can do this. It's the most exciting thing in the world. You can walk away 15 minutes after one of these processes with a completely different behavior. Holy God, why? Because you can learn how to love yourself, how about in 10 or 15 minutes? after a life of sabotaging yourself, you don't love yourself. Why would you succeed? Mm -hmm. You would sabotage. Yeah. This, when, I, when I heard you talk about this, it, it really it blew my mind because like I had no context on, on this. And now that we understand that our subconscious is 95% and those are all beliefs, limiting beliefs or, or a lot of them not productive or promoting our best self or best life and then you write a book about the biology of belief and it, it just hit me that most of our beliefs we're not even conscious of having having them they're just running Automatic. and then they're affecting our, our physical body you know our, our mental uh, our mental health or our spiritual health and can can you i know you wrote a whole book about this so i i know i can't ask you how our beliefs affect our biology and like a a succinct I can, way. I can do it in about but, three minutes. How about three yeah, minutes? Let me that try. That sounds good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, most of us have been programmed with the belief that genes control our life. That's the old story from 1950s on that says DNA uh, programs uh, that you inherited from other people control your life. And I go, well, this is, this is a problem <laughs> uh, because most of the programs we download are not supporting us. And then we manifest lives of struggle. Okay. Mm -hmm. I say, okay. So uh, that was the belief I was teaching in medical school professor. Okay. Genes control our life. It's called genetic determinism. Genes determine the character of your life. Okay. Everybody bought that. They walk around, yeah, I'm, oh yeah, there's cancer running in my family. I, I got the cancer gene and I'm, you know, I'm in trouble. I got a cancer, especially women when they, they find out they have the BRCA breast cancer gene, they go, oh, you know, Angelina Jolie, you know, the star, uh, her mother died of breast cancer and her grandmother died of breast cancer. And then she tested and she has the breast cancer gene. So she said, ah, she had double mastectomy. She was young and beautiful. She just cut her breast off saying, well, that will prevent me from getting breast cancer. I go, yeah, but the same gene causes uterine cancer, ovarian cancer. So what are you going to do now? Uh, but the point about it was the belief was so strong that these breasts are going to be defective because of genes. It had nothing to do with her, that these genes are going to cause this. So she just said double mastectomy. And I go, but, but wait a minute. 50% of the women that have the gene never get the cancer. You have to understand something important here. I said, possession of the gene does not mean you get cancer. It's a lifestyle that activates one of those genes that gives you cancer. It's not the gene turning on and off and giving you cancer. That's the belief system. That's totally disempowering. That makes us slaves. I go, what? Slaves to our heredity. Oh my God, I inherited the cancer gene. I'm gonna die of cancer. You know, it's like, I, I'm a victim of my genes. I go, my research revealed totally different. Very simply now, uh, I put one stem cell, which is an embryonic cell in a Petri dish. It's called cloning. Just put one cell in and it divides every 10 hours. So first there's one, then there's two, then there's four, eight, 16, 32, mm -hmm. doubling. At the end of the week, 30,000 genetically identical cells in the Petri dish from one parent. I take those cells, split them into three Petri dishes. So all the cells have genetically identical cells, but I change what is called the culture medium, the chemistry, the environment, the fluid that cells live in. I change the chemistry a little bit. And I go, well, what is culture medium? Here's this, the catch. Laboratory version of blood. If I grow human cells, what's blood made out of? And then I grow human cells in blood, okay? The equivalent, laboratory. But in my experiment, I have three dishes, genetically identical cells in each, but I change the chemistry of the culture medium a little bit. And one dish, the cells form muscle. In another dish, they form bone. In a third dish, they form fat cells. And I go, oh my God, what controls the fate of the cells? After telling medical students for years, genes control the cell, here I am, genetically identical cells in three dishes with totally three different fates. I go, so what, what is it that caused it to become one or the other? And I go, the culture medium. The environment. I go, oh, Jesus, that's the whole story of epigenetics. Control, epi means above. Epidermis, skin. 
epidermis, above the dermis, epi. Epigenetics, control above the genes. It's in the blood, the chemistry of the blood. And I go, the human body is a skin-covered Petri dish. It's got 50 trillion cells inside with the original culture medium, blood. I go, yeah, but it doesn't make a difference if the cell's in the plastic dish or the skin dish. It's still controlled by the environment, blood, culture medium. And I go, then what? Now comes the next step. And said, well, then the chemistry of the blood controls your genetics and behavior. I go, yes, it does. And I say, then who controls that? And I go, the brain is the chemist putting chemistry into the blood. And I go, then comes the final big one. So what chemistry should the brain be putting into the blood? And here it is. Whatever picture you hold in your mind, the brain translates that picture into complementary chemistry. There's a chemistry of love, including dopamine for pleasure, oxytocin for bonding, growth hormone, which enhances your vitality. But there's a different chemistry for fear, stress hormones and things called cytokines that affect the immune system. I go, wait, the chemistry in love is totally different than the chemistry in fear. I go, yeah. And I go, what was the ultimate control? The picture in your mind. I said, where'd you get the picture? Programming. I'm successful. That's different chemistry. I am poor. That's a different chemistry. And all of a sudden you start to say, well, wait, then the whole thing is controlled by the picture. And whatever picture you hold in your mind, you translate that into complementary chemistry. And I go, then, then all of a sudden I said, so the answer is simple. Change the picture in your mind. And then the chemistry will change to accommodate the picture. You want to be successful? Then you have to have a picture of being successful. You can't have a picture. Oh, no, life is hard. I struggle. I'm working real hard. I can't get there. I go, well, then you'll never get there. <laughs> That's the point. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, most of your whole your career is a whole you know, class action here of what you've done to get from one place to another place. And I think it just fits everything I just said. Uh, uh, and it was you took your power back. And this is why we're here together right now for our audience that you have out there. The idea mm -hmm. is this. The life you're living is not heaven on earth. <gasps> got a problem. you got programs that have taken you away from that. You know, it's interesting. I wrote a book called The Honeymoon Effect. Mm -hmm. I go, what's that? I said, your life is blah, 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 blah. Every day, blah, 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 blah. And then you meet somebody and you fall in love. 24 hours later, you have a different life. 24 hours later, oh, I'm so in love. Life is so beautiful. Even the crummy job is not so crummy. I love my life. I'm so in love. That's called the honeymoon. Mm -hmm. How did 24 hours of being in love change this life? And the answer is because science has found out when you are thinking, you're coming from the hard drive with programs. But when you stop thinking, creating your life with the creative conscious mind. Falling in love stops you from thinking for a simple reason. You've waited for this person your whole life. They're in front of you right now. Why would you want to think and disconnect? You want to stay present, stay mindful. That's what the word is. And I say, so what's the result? I say, your life instantly changes in 24 hours because you stop thinking, you stop playing the program. This is a story of the matrix. People think that's uh, science fiction. I go, hell no. The story starts out with a premise. Everybody's been programmed. I go, that's not a premise. That's a reality. Everybody's been programmed for seven years. But then the story says, if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. I say, what's the red pill? Falling in love. Falling in love is you stop thinking. And the moment you stop thinking, then who's controlling? I say, conscious mind is staying present. And it's holding onto that wheel. And where is it going to take you? To wishes and desires. And when two people are driving toward wishes and desires, what do you think? They manifested the honeymoon, wishes and desires. And I'm going, oh, that's the example, folks. And you, that, that's it, it. It changes your chemistry, which is, I think, so incredible. Because it, even in that, you said 24 hours, like your, your, your body is different because your yes. brain is releasing all these different chemicals into I, your body. I, absolutely. 
That's why, that's why uh, when I say growth hormone was one of the principal chemicals released when you fall in love. And I go, mm -hmm. significance. Uh, people always say, oh, look how, see how they glow? See how in love they are? There's a glow when love is happening. Yeah, guess what? Growth hormone in the culture, meaning blood, is creating the glow. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, uh, and all of a sudden, you're manifesting a different reality now. You're manifesting one of love and joy and happiness. And then... Gosh, the chemistry of that is great. Then the problem is, why does the honeymoon end? Uh, and it does end for a simple reason. is because you can only stop thinking for a long time, but there's a point in our world is so busy. What's your, what are you doing next week? What chores do you have up? What happened last week? How am I going to move into the future and go do this? And planning and thinking and reviewing. I go, you're back to 95%. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, coming from the subconscious and the honeymoon disappeared Whew, just like that. So conclusion. And, and similarly, I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, just conclusion is very simple. I said, well, what if you would reprogram the negative programs in the subconscious and replace them with the positive programs of wishes and desires? Then guess what? Whether you're thinking or you're not thinking, you're, both minds are creating the same end, heaven on earth. And all of a sudden it says, oh my God, then you can have the honeymoon every day of your life for as long as you live. And I go, 100%, 100%. Mm -hmm. And that's that's linked, that's the same uh, information as like the placebo and nocebo effect. Because that you is. do mention that in your book, because that, ultimately you're creating those effects by your beliefs and your thoughts. 100%. That, that, that's one of the examples I use. A lot of people think, mm -hmm. oh, uh, I say, what is the placebo? Everybody recognized that. Oh, you took this pill and you got better thinking the pill was going to heal you. And then you find, oh, the pill was a sugar pill. Then what healed me? I said, your belief that you were going to get healed, mm -hmm. the positive thinking. And everybody, oh, yeah, placebo. And I go, the bigger issue is not the positive thinking. The bigger issue is the negative thinking. And I go, why? Nobody talks about it. I go, it's equally powerful in shaping your life as positive thinking, but in the opposite direction. With negative thinking, you can create any disease in the body. Cancer is primarily from negative interaction with the planet. It's not due to genes. There's no gene that causes cancer. That's a scientific reality. They can support cancer, but then they have to have a reason. And the thing is disharmony in the system will, will provoke those uh, genes to activate. And I go, so why is it important? I said, we spend more time with negative thinking than we do with positive thinking. I say, but negative thinking is equally powerful in creating, but it's not creating what you want. It's creating the opposite of what you want. And nobody talks about negative thinking. Oh, let's have more positive thinking. I say, let's have less negative thinking. Maybe that's more important. <laughs> mm. So powerful. And I, I feel like as great as this conversation is, it's just scratching the surface. So I, I just urge people to read your books check out all your content and i want i want to ask one last thing before we wrap yeah. this up that uh i just i just see a lot in this world and I, I just wanted to ask you because i want your your advice how can we remain hopeful in a world that seems or appears so negative and full of conflict and problems the issue is to recognize the only way out of the issue out of the problem is not to fight the problem Everybody wants to be crusader. Let's go in there and change the world. Uh, Buckminster Fuller, futurist, came very close to what's most important. He said, don't go in and try and change the system. Step outside and create a new system over here. Mm -hmm. And people will then follow you over there. This is the way to do it. You have to start saying, I want to create what I want to create. And, and stop being a participant in the old creation. It's the only way it's going to end. Uh, do I have to fight the old creation? I say, no, you really have to learn how to ignore it. You can live in it without taking it in. You could look at it like an observer, third world. I'm watching this going, this, this, that behavior is stupid. Do I have to participate? No, I don't. Okay. You can observe the world but you don't have to participate in that world. There, there's so many different things. Uh, uh, one of my favorite little things is I talk about an energy checkbook. And I go, what do you mean? I go, hmm. we have checkbook in your bank account. I go, yeah, so what? And I say, money is energy. You got money, you can do what you want. You got no money, you can't do anything. I say, money is energy. So I say, do you just write checks for no reason at all? 
hey, Musa, you got a great shirt on. I'm going to give you five bucks because that, that's a great shirt. And, oh, <laughs> you look great. I'm going to give you a couple extra bucks too because you look great. I said, you don't give away your money. If you give away your money, you're giving away your life. That's a, energy is lost, okay? I go, but there is energy that runs the body. And the point about that energy is if you're giving away your energy and not getting anything back, it's the same as writing a check for just giving it away. And I go, what does that mean? I say, look at your life and start to realize how much of your life you're giving away your energy, you get nothing back. Energy mm -hmm. in the body is the same as money in the bank account. And that if you start doing things because, well, that's just the way we do it. And I say, stop for a moment and say, is what you're doing going to advance your life or not? Are you just giving away this energy, but nothing is coming back for you or your community? I mean, if you're investing in yourself and your community, then you spend that money. But you don't just spend it. You know, I, I always remember day one, first time I ever experienced it because it was coming into my consciousness of, oh, my God, we waste so much energy. I was in my lab in, in the university and one of my faculty colleagues came in and said, Bruce, don't forget, we have the faculty party on Saturday night. What are you bringing? And I stopped for a moment and the vision of a faculty party is a bunch of people standing around with a drink in their hand, staring at each other because they're not social in the first place, these faculty people. They don't, <laughs> they just come together because we're the faculty. And I go, yeah, but nobody gives a damn about each other. You know, they're just there mingling. And I go, oh man, Saturday night, I work all week and I have to give up Saturday night to stand about with a bunch of people and a drink and just go, Aah. and I thought, I don't want to do that. But it's tradition. So I turned to him and I say, oh, damn, I forgot. I made this appointment. I forgot it was a faculty party and I have to go to do whatever, blah, blah, blah. I can't go. I got to go. And he looked at me and said, you're not going to the faculty party. I said, no, I, I got I to go do something. And he walked out. And the moment he walked out, I went, God, I have Saturday night for myself. I have a whole Saturday night to <laughs> relax and play and do whatever the hell I want because I gave it away. By tradition, for what? No benefit to me, just eat up my time. My time is my life. What the hell do I want to waste it for? That was day one that said, what else am I doing where I give up my energy, but I get nothing back? And I realized, cut bait, baby, cut the line, let go. Don't let that line pull you because your energy is your life. Energy is life. And... If you put your energy into things that return nothing to you or to your community, then you just wrote a check and gave away your, your life. That's what you've done. Mm. So it's real important to stop and say, how much of the stuff am I doing because other people do it in that tradition versus how much of the stuff am I doing because I want to, it benefits me or benefits my community. That's worthwhile investment. The other one, throwing your life away. It's a good wake up wow. before you spend that energy, write that energy check and see, is this going to return? If it doesn't, it's like then save the energy and party on Saturday night. <laughs> now that is the beautiful question to reflect on. <laughs> uh, and as, as we wrap this up, Dr. Lipton, I just want to thank you so much. I, I really truly believe the greatest gift we can give is our authentic self and our time. And you do that and you've been doing that for so many years. And I just, I honor you so much. I thank you and all the work that you're doing uh, and that you're it. continuing to do. I, I, I'm just downloading what the universe taught me, what the cells taught me. I'm just telling you guys what it's doing because I am a recipient of that information. And as you understand, I started to use that information. And a guy who never believed in spirituality, never believed in love, couldn't find it because, hey, I downloaded behavior mm -hmm. from my father. That was dysfunctional with my mother. How the hell am I going to find a relationship when I start off with dysfunctional behavior that I don't even know I'm playing and for 40 years, until I changed that program, now I write a book called The Honeymoon Effect. Why? Mm -hmm. I've been in a honeymoon with my partner, Margaret, for 25 years now, every day. It's like, oh, my God, I live in a different world. I, I go into the other world, do my work. I don't let it take me. I've come back to my world. That's a choice for everybody out there. Are you living your life? Or are you living the life of the rules that somebody else made? And you don't even get any benefit from it. It's like time to cut bait. Time to mm -hmm. save that energy. It's your life. And, and you have control if you understand it. 
Uh, and the big understanding as we brought out is, well, 95% of your life isn't even your life. That's a program. And uh, take the red pill. <laughs> Absolutely. Tune into everything Dr. Lipton has. All his books are amazing. All his content is amazing. He has hours and hours of content. Uh, and just check him out on social media. Everything is linked. Dr. Lipton, thank you so much for being a gift to me and my podcast and my audience and the world as a whole. I, I, I want to thank you for this opportunity to stand on this little soapbox platform and talk to a wonderful audience because I know our audience is out there because they want to have that self-empowerment that you've expressed that I've learned myself. Uh, and uh, not just expressing it, but, you know, getting down to the, the to the genes and the chemistry and all that stuff of, oh, my God, that's how it works. Uh, it's available to all of us. But guess what? The leadership does not want you to know this stuff because then you become empowered. Or the medical industry or oh my God, financial yeah. industry. Or that's right. Because <laughs> what you feel you're a victim of, that when you feel you're a victim, that means you will pay for a rescuer. Okay, mm. uh, and and uh, so a little sidebar, just to you know, hey, you want to think about something that in the Journal of the American Medical Association and in the British Medical Journal, both very prestigious scientific journals, uh, they report that the third leading cause of death in the United States. Well, let's say what the first is, heart disease. Okay, mm. what's second? Cancer. What's third? The third leading cause of death has a Latin name. It's called iatrogenic illness. You go, well, what the heck is that? It means illness as a result of medical treatment. Mm. Stop for a second. This is a fact of science, even in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Medicine is the third leading cause of death in the United States. If that doesn't cause you to little stop there and say, what? I go, Surgery, hey, that's mechanical. But they think everything else is mechanical and it's wrong. It's consciousness. Uh, and so all the treatments uh, that they do are, I'm sorry, third leading cause of death. Think about it. Why do you want to see a doctor? I say, you got to be very scared. <laughs> uh, and I go, yeah, but what if you could take over the power yourself and stop giving it away? Because uh, our belief of victim has us programmed to look for somebody that's going to rescue you. Oh, I don't know about my health. The doctor does. Oh, then whatever the doctor says becomes my truth. I go, well, that's where the problem comes from because they offer you a prognosis. And I say, what's that? A future. I say, and I say, what's a future? Their image. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is going to happen. Then you're going to get sick. Then this is going to, then you're going to die. And I go, what picture are you holding in this head now? Mm -hmm. And I say, why? It's going to be translated into chemistry that matches that picture, and that chemistry will create that that picture. Wow, Woo. Doctor Lipton, I want to I want to respect your time, but this I just I could talk about this for hours. I wish we had like half the day to go over every well, aspect of to, our biology. I'd love to come back if if you felt the audience thought this was worthwhile. I would love to come back, and we'll hang out and do a, another conversation. I'd be Thanks. truly honored. Thank you so much, Doctor Lipton, for joining me again and sharing all your wisdom. Thank you. That is all for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. If you found any value in this episode, someone you know will also. Please share, subscribe, leave a rating and review so we can reach more people, have a farther ripple and a larger impact. Stay grateful. I appreciate you. And remember, you are a conqueror.